Well, it's good to be here, isn't it, together in God's presence. And it is an amazing privilege just to be his people, to be in, his, uh, in that place with him and to come and uh, look at his word together. And we're looking into the Bible, the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, the third gospel in the New Testament. And it's on page 1012. Uh, you should find one of these turquoise kind of uh, whatever color it is, teal or um, bluish, greenish aquamarine however you call it uh, nearby spot that color um and uh, yeah and that's on page there uh, page 1012 and uh, we've been uh, last year we began to look at mark's gospel for the first term and we covered the first half of it and this uh, year we're doing the second half and as we saw um, last last week we had a bit of an update then, so I won't go over all of that now. But this gospel, it, it's a unique kind of document from the first century, written uh, through Peter, one of the followers of, uh, of Jesus, one of the first disciples, uh, 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 told to somebody called John Mark, who appears in the New Testament a couple of times. But he was uh, one of the church, a uh, member of the church uh, community in Rome, written in about AD, AD 60, 64, something like that according to the kind of scholars and experts that, that, that know about these things. And we saw uh, last week that the first part of Mark's gospel ends with the disciples realizing something really crucial, and that is who Jesus is. He asked them the question, you remember, right in the center of the climax, as it were, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And, he, and Peter pipes up on behalf of the others, saying, we believe you're the Christ. Uh, other uh, Gospels have a little bit more in there, but Mark says, we believe you're the Christ, the King, the one God has promised, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. And it meant something to the Jews that God, in, the, in, in his word in the past, had promised he would act and he would send someone. And they were waiting for this person called the Messiah to come. And Peter summarizes what the others are thinking or beginning to realize, Jesus, you're the one, you're the one. Jesus is the king, the one that we were kind of talking about, uh, singing about in that, in that catchy song earlier. And in the second part, they're going to realize just what that means for them, for Jesus to be a king, to be Jesus, for Jesus to be king in their lives, for them to be living with him as their king. And that's, they kind of do that through the gospel, the second half. And as we look over their shoulders, we can learn what it is for us who are followers of Jesus, and we want Jesus to be our king, to live with him too. We saw last week that it involves listening to him, listening to him about salvation and, and about how he's going to be the way uh, to provide for God's purposes in dying and rising from the, from the dead. We saw about how he had something to say about the way to follow him, and we saw as well that he was the one that brings God's glory and love. And you remember that three of these disciples had just seen how special Jesus was. They were taken up with Jesus on a mountain or a high hill. There's no, no, no actual real mountains in Israel. Um, they're kind of big hills, really. But, you know, Mount Hermon is quite spectacular. Got, got snow on the top of it. Some people think it may have been that. But probably one of the, the foothills around there, north of Caesarea Philippi, you can go there. Mary and I were, were in that region last year, and it was great to see, to see the kind of area where Jesus was when he said these words. Anyway, they go up onto this mountain with him, and then something quite spectacular happens. And we can, you can read about it in Mark 9. 
They see the glory of God shining out of Jesus and a cloud comes over and the voice of God speaks from heaven. Quite a spectacular experience. And uh, they're kind of blown away by it. And now they come back down. They come off this hill, down this mountain, coming back down to earth. And they're coming in to kind of join the rest of the disciples and they're going to be learning uh, what living with the king means. And that it means that they're going to need to depend upon him. And so are we. Depending on someone can be a bit humbling, can't it? Any of us, as we perhaps find limitations or we become sick or, you know, we need others, it can be very difficult to depend upon someone. And actually, for some of us as well, depending on Jesus is not kind of easy. It goes against the grain a bit. And the disciples have to learn that, and we're going to explore that today. So let's see what happens in uh, chapter 9. We'll begin at verse 9. And uh, we'll read, first of all, to verse 13. As they were coming down the mountain, that's that's Jesus and these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then it is written, he says, he asks him another question. Why then it is written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. What's all that about then? Well, Peter and James and John are coming down from the mountain. You can imagine, they have you ever had one of those kind of, what just happened moments, you know? Uh, what just happened then? You know, uh, it was so unusual. And I guess they were talking about it as they came down. And, and, and you remember from last week, before it all happened, Jesus had said that some of his disciples would see the king of God, kingdom of God come in power. They just had this amazing experience. They'd seen Jesus in his glory, the cloud and the Moses and Elijah there and all of that we read about last week. They'd heard God kind of bigging up Jesus, his son, saying, he's my son, listen to him. He spoke from the cloud, just like he did in Exodus when the law was given. And Jesus tells them, don't talk about anything like that. Don't tell anyone about that until the son of man is raised from the dead. Well, they don't mind that because they don't really understand what he means. And they're asking one another. Now, They were uh, first century Jews. They were expecting a resurrection. All Jewish people were at the end of time. And they were expecting the Messiah, who is called the Son of Man in the Old Testament, particularly in reference to the end of time. You can read about it in Daniel 7. And they've just seen Elijah on the mountain. They're thinking about the end of time and they're thinking about the Son of Man. And there was a belief at the time, and it's hinted at in the Old Testament, that before Messiah came, Elijah would reappear and get things ready. And and they're kind of saying to Jesus, oh, yeah, we know what you mean, Jesus. You're talking about the end of time. So tell us about Elijah. And he kind of answers their question. And he says, look, let me tell you, there's something more important I want you to know. Why is it written that the Son of Man is going to suffer and be rejected. Something's more important. He, he kind of goes back to what he told them before. 
that they were trying to get their heads around. They weren't happy with this idea that the Messiah was going to suffer. And Jesus wants to remind them again. Jesus is saying something to them, and I guess this is our take-home point, really. Jesus is saying, you need me to help you understand. You need my perspective, says Jesus. And that's going to come to you through God's word, through scripture. It is written. You're confused. You think this is about the end of the world? Look, don't think about the end of the world. Think about what's been written and what I'm saying to you. They thought they could work it out. They thought they could work it out for themselves. They thought they knew about the end of the world. They thought they got it, but they couldn't work it out. They needed Jesus to help them work it out. And for that, he helps them to see the Bible a bit more clearly. Now, disciples living with the king need to depend on him when we're a bit confused. Simple message. It's true then. It's true now. And we depend upon him as he points us to the Bible, to God's word. We depend on him in our confusion. We don't need to work it out. Now, this can be difficult because for many people, maybe you're one of them and lots of us start in this place, we want a kind of do-it-yourself way to God, don't we? We, we? we prefer to kind of work it out for ourselves, not a DIY, but a W-I-O-Y, work it out yourself type of kind of religion. We all would prefer that. And Jesus says, actually, you need help with that. You can't work it out for yourselves. Because Jesus says, I'm the way. I'll help you, but you need me. We're like that. Living with the king means that we need him to help us to know the way. And we need to come God's way. Jesus says that. And that's why the Bible matters. That's why we look at the Bible to help us hear what Jesus says about working it out. Because we can't work it out for ourselves. But not just that. Not just as we come to know God for ourselves to be at the beginning on that journey into faith. But as we carry on in faith, we, we would sometimes prefer to work it out for ourselves in terms of how to live to God for God. But we need to depend on him for that too. We need him to help us live his way. Again, we much prefer our own preferences. We much prefer to do what we think is right or what we think is most comfortable or, or, or what the culture is saying around us. That would be much more preferable. But Jesus says, no, you need to work it out. You need me to work it out with you. You need me. You need to depend on me in this. We need to depend on him to live the way he wants us to. And we need to depend on him, don't we, for understanding about the right decisions to make in life. Personal or corporate. We've got decisions to make as a church. Well, you have. (laughs) You need God's help with that. We need to depend on him for that, don't we? Depend on him for understanding. That's my little take-home point from that first incident. Let's move on. Peter, James, excuse me, Peter, James, and John, probably just mulling this over as they wander down the side of that, and then suddenly they're back with the others. 
And something happens that interrupts their thinking, uh, their talking possibly. And it's in verse 14. So can we read from verses 14 to 19 at the bottom there of page 1012. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. That must have been the disciples. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out that spirit. But they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. We'll read on in a minute. Wow, that's an interesting incident. As they come down from the mountain, they they hear a tremendous commotion, a lot of shouting and and arguing, a lot of kind of argy-bargy, as they say in the subcontinent sometimes. We used to say it in Britain, but they say it more in India these days. Argy-bargy, you know, kind of shuffling around. A lot of shouting and arguing. And what they're arguing about is how the other disciples had not been able to release a young man, probably a teenager, whose life had been gripped by the power of an evil spirit. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of that. Just let's take it as it is here. It's not impossible. We know that the mind can affect the body. So why might the spirit also affect it? We can be affected physically by things that are spiritual, just as we can be affected physically by things that are emotional. Let's just stick with that. But here, uh, there's a guy, who, a, a young a teenage probably, who is oppressed by evil. How that got there, what the backstory is, we have no idea. But this is where we are. The disciples, you see, in the past, had been able to deal with that. That hadn't been a problem for them at all. If you turn back uh, one page, actually, uh, actually two pages, keep one finger in that page and turn back to Mark 6 on page 1008. And that's an occasion when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples uh, to go off on their own. And uh, he tells him in verse 8 to go off on this journey, not to take anything extra with them and so on and so forth. Um, And if sorry, in verse seven, he says he calls the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. Okay, so off he says, off you go, tells them what to do in the next few verses. And then in verse 12, it says they went out and preached that people should repent and they drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Okay. So they'd done that before. Jesus had taught them how to do it. He'd given the authority to do it. Uh, there they are, uh, nine of them. They're all together. Jesus is not with them. The other three are up there uh, on the hill with him. Man comes. The, 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 his teenage boy's in, in trouble. Well, it should be easy. But they hadn't been able to do it. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the critics of Jesus, were obviously out there on the scene. Say, oh, what's up with you then, you know? 
And they were probably saying, oh, well, you have a go then. If you, get, you know, Because the, 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 the Jewish leaders would try and exercise people as well. We see that from the book of Acts. But, you know, you can imagine the kind of commotion. The crowd was there and, and you know, they were saying, what kind, of a, what kind of a rabbi is your Jesus then if you can't even do that? And, and they were getting defensive and there was a, a big kind of argument. And in the meantime, all of this was going on. The suffering teenager and his father were kind of completely lost in all of this because by now there was practically a fight going on between the disciples and the, uh, the, the other religious leaders, critics of Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, what on earth is all this about? And he hints in verse 19 that belief, that faith, that trust in God to work, to, uh, 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 to work through the disciples for the boy is about is what's kind of to do with it. Verse 19, he talks about an unbelieving generation. He's saying, why is it there's something about this generation? They, their minds, mindset, it, it makes them just, they seem to find it hard to trust God. Is it just that generation, by the way? <laughs> Don't we find that too sometimes? It's hard to trust God. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. What happens next? Let's read verse 20. So they brought him. And when the spirit, that's in the boy, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, the boy answered, the, the father answered. From childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, actually some uh, manuscripts said, with tears. Immediately, the boy's father says, I believe I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet and he stood up. It's a frightening encounter, isn't it? It must have been pretty scary to see. It's evil. And this is, in a sense, the fact that the evil in the, the boy reacts to the presence of Jesus is, is kind of evidence enough. It manifests itself. That's the technical te- term. And his body is shaken. And, and he, Jesus asks the man's father, I love his kind of approach. You know, he takes a kind of case history from the father. Jesus probably knew what was going on, but he wants to involve the the boy's father. Because there's something here for the father. Don't miss that. And the father said it's been like it from from childhood. That's why I think he's a teenager, by the way. Because he talks back to it starting from childhood. And the man says to him with desperation, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Now, excuse me being a little bit technical, but this help us is a bit of an unusual word 
Uh, it only occurs about eight times in the New Testament, Greek word. can't remember it. begins with B, Botheo, or something like that. But anyway, eight, eight times. Now, it, now, what we're not talking about, it's not like, you know, when you go into a shop, someone says, can I help you? <laughs> or you're in Sainsbury's and you say, excuse me, I wonder if you could help me. I can't find the um, whatever it is you're looking for. Now, this is, this is desperate. This is the kind of help. Actually, you, it, you find it in the other Greek kind of writings when they're telling stories of how when the army's in trouble, surrounded, they need reinforcements. It's a bit like call for backup. It's a bit like, I, I, you know, this is extreme. I need your help. I need it now. If you don't do something, I'm toast. It's that kind of extremity. That's what he's saying. That's, the, that's what the man's saying to Jesus. I, to have compassion on us. Help us. We are desperate. If without you, it's over. That's the kind of that. Can you feel the intensity that lies behind that word? And Jesus says this thing. He says, if, if, he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And that's got that reference back. He said earlier that your unbelieving generation, you don't remember he said that? The word their belief is similar to the word for faith. It has this idea of trust. Or, or, of being able to, um, yeah, to, to trust God and to have faith, to believe, kind of active belief. And the man says, I do believe, but I need help. He uses the same word. He says, I, I need backup myself, Jesus. And he's not got the demon, but, but that, that's the kind of, he's saying to Jesus, my son needs you, but something has made him realize that he needs help and you can help my unbelief says says jesus i've got enough belief but you can help me with that says the man rather to jesus there's this mixture in his heart just like all of us how many of us can say i've got enough faith i can't none of us have if we go that way but jesus jesus we can depend on and what does Jesus do? Well, it's amazing, isn't it? He heals the boy. The disciples couldn't do it. The man didn't have the belief, but he knew that Jesus could help him. The disciples couldn't do it. They needed Jesus. The boy's father can't do it. He needs Jesus' help just as much as his son does. And Jesus commands the spirit to leave, and it goes. He says, leave and never return but so great is the grip that this evil had on the boy that it seems for a moment as if he cannot live without the evil. Became, became kind of parasitic. And they all said, oh no, Jesus, he's killed him. And Jesus said, no, it's okay. And he kind of helps him up and helps him into a new life. What did we learn? What are our take-homes from this then? Well, living with the king means we depend on him in our need we need jesus the disciples couldn't cope with this without him the family couldn't cope and we can't either humbling to admit but that's what this is saying and maybe we only realize it in very extreme circumstances but just because that's when we realize it doesn't mean that it's not true for the rest of the time and the key is in that conversation between Jesus and the teenager's father. The father wants healing for his son. 
He wanted Jesus' help. He wanted the backup from Jesus. He wanted special help for that. But in the moment, he realizes that he needs Jesus too. He wanted healing for his son, but he needed Jesus for himself. And that's what depending on Jesus means. Not trying to get what Jesus gives, but wanting just him. Asking him to be king in our lives. And the man realizes something really special. He realizes he needs Jesus. And he asks him. And in that moment, he starts to grow his trust and his belief. Maybe the man thought originally that Jesus was saying he needed more belief. That's why he said what he said. But in that moment, he realizes that Jesus was saying that Jesus was what he needed. And that he could trust in him. Even to give him the faith that he didn't feel he had. Because Jesus is enough. That's what depending on Jesus means. Knowing here, not just here, that Jesus is enough. He couldn't work the problem out for himself. It was well beyond him. And you know, he didn't need to anyway. Because Jesus was able to intervene. Is this what we need to learn? We can't work it out for ourselves. We need Jesus. But you know, the disciples had missed it too. Remember that? What went wrong with them? (laughs) Why couldn't they do it? Was it they could only do kind of lower, you know, conference league demons? You know, this was a premier one, you know. Is that what it was about? Well, let's see what happens next. Verse 28 to 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, I love this idea. Jesus went indoors, his disciples were there. They must have had a bit of a debrief, uh, you know, unsurprisingly. I mean, if only we had more of the Bible, wouldn't it be great to know what went on at that conversation? But anyway, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, The question they probably, you know, was number one on their mind. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. It's clear that they thought they could do it. They always had before. What had gone wrong? Well, maybe they'd forgotten where their authority came from. Actually, the the startling revelation that comes from Jesus... I think is this, and I've never actually seen this before. I've read this passage hundreds of times, but it just suddenly struck me. He's actually saying to them, you didn't pray. He's not saying you need to pray a lot. You know, the more you pray, you, you know, you never, you never cast the demon out unless you pray for, you know, how long? Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. This, need, this, this one needs like six hours of prayer. No, I think Jesus is saying to them, you didn't pray. If you prayed, you would have done it. That's interesting, isn't it? That's very interesting. As we think about prayer and our lives. Because prayer is about depending on God. Real prayer is an index of our faith, our trust, our active belief that God can work. And you know, we can easily, I've done it myself, do it might even be doing it now. It's such a temptation. But we can get into living the Christian life or being the Christian church 
with the kind of so-called faith, as it were, that, well, God will see us through. (laughs) It's all going to be all right. That's his job. That's what he's promised. Now, he has promised that, of course. That is what he does. But we kind of live like, oh, well, you know, we'll just sign the checks or, or, or we'll write the checks rather and God will just sign them. Is that praying? Because when you think like that, you don't need to pray, do you? Because it's all about what you do. But real prayer is alive and well when we realize not that he, he's not given us a checkbook, but he's made us a joint account holder with him. And, and we get to talk it through with him. We get to share with him that how it's going to work and how our part fits in and we pray along those lines because he wants to work with us he's the king with us and we pray like that dallas willard great writer uh, now with the lord uh, any of his books are worth reading They're a bit hard to, to they take off you have to read the pages several times but it's worth it believe me he had a wonderful description of prayer he says prayer is talking to god about what we're doing together What a great description. Talking to God about what we're doing together. Dependence on God. It's fascinating, isn't it? I've been pondering it a bit. Nearly finished. I'll tell you a little story. I'll tell you a little story. Friday night, I I kind of experienced it. And this is when it it really hit me um, a bit. I was... uh, um, there's, there's something goes on every every three months or so. It's a dialogue that a few Christians in the city have a dialogue with the Muslims in the mosque just down the road. It's a very interesting time. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is. Steve? No, Steve somewhere, I think. Steve Trilogan was there on Friday, and, and I want to ask him how it went. I, I, and they start off, they, they gather here, and I was hosting the prayer. And usually I go with them because I know the imam, and I like to go and I like to be involved. But there were quite a number of people there. And in my, my experience, uh, there aren't that many Muslims who come. And the idea of there's some pretty heavyweight hitters in that group who are about to go down to the mosque. And I thought, you know, I, I'm not sure whether you know, this is too many. So I said to them, look, guys, you know, you go down there. I'll, I'll stay. I'll, I'll pray for a bit. I, I didn't. I said and I prayed for an hour. This is when this kind of hit me. Um, I don't need to be there. I don't need to be part of that. I've got plenty of good people. I'll say. Now, I had a bit of a tussle of that because I kind of wanted to go. I didn't want to miss anything. And, you know, I know the imam a bit. And, you know, I am the closest pastor to the mosque. I really should be there. You know, that, that kind of inner tussle. But, but no, I've just felt the Lord say, no, stay and pray. And I, was, I stayed and I just prayed. And I didn't say, I'm looking to find out what happened. But the key thing is it suddenly struck me that actually... By, by doing that, what I'm saying is, actually, God can do it. He doesn't need me. I don't have to be there. Not this time. And I think sometimes as we pray, it's that, that sense we're saying, we're looking for God to be at work. Sometimes we're there too, but we don't have to be. Because it's not all about me. How that goes at that dialogue, it's not about me. It's about what God does. If he does it through me, fine. If he does it through the others, fine. And I just... And knowing about the Sunday today, I thought, I don't know when that's helpful, but it's that kind of approach to prayer, I think, that we can learn. I'm only just beginning to learn it. I've been a Christian about 50 years or something, and um, I'm only still kind of learning it, but there we are. The disciples are learning to live with Jesus as their king. 
And they need to learn to depend on him. And we need that too, don't we? Depending on him for understanding, realizing that the scriptures are the way and his presence with us as we read the word is a key way we depend on him for understanding. Depending on him when we face things. Learning the connection between wanting him, knowing that he is what we really need. And as we admit that, finding our belief and our faith and our trust beginning to grow. And depending on him as we pray. Not to do what the disciples did. Forgot that they needed to depend on Jesus. Now, Portsmouth Church, we say that we're all about depending on God in prayer. It's one of our core values. So how true is it then today? How do we live in that this week, this year? Disciples are learners. And Jesus wants us to learn. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of other nations. All the nations in the world, there should be disciples there. And people need to learn what I've taught. They need to learn to keep it, to do it. Learning to obey, to be obedient, is what the Christian life is all about. Trust, believe, pray, scripture, his presence by the spirit. You don't need to work it out for yourself because you can live with the king. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will help us wherever we are on the journey to understand or to see that, Lord, we need you most of all. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in whatever place we're at to to reach out to you and to ask you to help us. Lord, we might say we believe, but we're also aware that there's so much unbelief lingering in our hearts. Help us with our unbelief. And help us, Lord, to to be those disciples who learn to depend upon you and who learn the joy of prayer as that relationship and interaction as we walk together. In Jesus' name.